church. Let's just start this morning with a very familiar passage, John chapter 3 and verse 16, if you would. John chapter 3, and I do, even though you have the verse memorized, would like you to read through it with me this morning. As uh, I read it carefully here, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Probably the most familiar verse in all the Bible. And this morning we're going to try to cover ground that uh, is very familiar to most of us here at Open Door Bible Baptist Church, and yet uh, it is some uh, ground that we need to take time and uh, walk over once again. Our theme this year is to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, is to grow up into Jesus, and I want to challenge you that that cannot happen until you are first saved. Uh, and this morning, I would like for us to look at God's salvation. Uh, years ago, uh, many decades actually, a man wrote a tract, God's Simple Plan of Salvation. It's been translated into over a hundred languages and millions and millions, I believe over a hundred million copies of that tract have been uh, shipped all over the world and many uh, testimonies of people who uh, just read that track and, and got saved. And uh, yet I, I want to challenge you, uh, God's being saved is simple. It is believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's all you have to do. It, it takes... It's so simple, even a child can do it. It takes an adult to really complicate things, doesn't it? Uh, yes, we, we believe in Jesus, but you must uh, keep this, or you must do this, or you must live this way. And, and what they forget is, if you're saved, the Holy Spirit of God is living in you. And there are certain things that are just going to happen because that is true. And uh, the Bible is very clear about many people who will deceive themselves and think they are saved. And after all, if you would just stop and think about it, who wants to go through life thinking about an eternity separated from God? Uh, that That is something beyond the human mind to comprehend. You've got to... You've got to alter things. And so, uh, just a few verses that we've been over many times before. Titus 2.11, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared unto... What's that next? those next words? All men. We, Hebrews 2.9, it says, but, G, but we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. The, the first thing I want us to understand is that God's plan of salvation is universal, meaning it is extended to all the world. There are <clears throat> many attempts of man to understand God's salvation. You'll hear me condemning Calvinism on a regular basis. And I, I never want to miss an opportunity to uh, uh, point out the, the falsehood and the foolishness uh, of Calvinism. The, those that believe in Calvinism uh, down through the, especially since the 1930s, uh, have written a lot of books. And uh, I will tell you, someone that has time to sit around and write a lot of books isn't doing anything else. Uh, writing books takes a lot of effort. Uh, uh, writing books is, is a very, very difficult thing. And 
I, I would like to challenge you that one of the reasons I've often had people ask it, you know, why, why aren't there more books written by independent Bible-believing Baptists, people who believe like we do? Why aren't there more books? And my answer, a little tongue-in-cheek, is they're too busy obeying the Lord to sit down and write about it. They're too busy living what the Bible teaches to be able to uh, gather all of their faculties and do all of the analysis and the, and the thought process necessary for writing a book. I mean, how many of you have ever written more than a 10-page paper for school? I mean, it was required at schools more than 10 pages. I mean, just type pages, having to write that out on one subject. You'll find that uh, um, you can sit down and uh, anybody can talk about anything for at least one page. Uh, but when you start talking two and three, the, the, the people who can produce that much material falls out. When you start having to produce ten pages uh, of written material, you're, you're going to have to spend a lot of time researching. Or, I mean, you can do what they d- used to do during the filibusters in Congress. They'd bring in the yellow pages and just start reading. Uh, seriously, that was before the, the rules when uh, y- if you were to stop Congress, you had to continually speak. And so they ran out of things to do. They had to actually bring in the phone book or bring in an encyclopedia and just trying to take up the time. And certainly that's not what we want to do this morning. And I would not encourage anyone to put a waste of time. In fact, I knew a few people when I was in college who would write the first several paragraphs, the first page and a half of their paper, and then they would just start cutting and pasting uh, uh, articles from the newspaper or whatever to fill in the rest of the paper and then they put a, a nice summary paragraph and hope that the professor would miss it. Didn't work out for, too well uh, because the professor read the paper and all of a sudden he starts and he leaves through and of course they, uh, <clears throat> uh, when you try to fool someone like that you can guarantee you're going to reap the benefits which aren't going to be much. But as we read John 3.16, I hope you're still there. It says, for God so loved what? The world. God did not love one group of people or one set of people or as the Calvinists like to say, the elect that God chose them and then chose everyone else to go to hell. I can't find that in the scriptures anywhere. I cannot find that God predetermined any person to lose the opportunity for heaven. But I'll tell you the Bible. uh, Let's just turn to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10, if you would. There we go. Romans chapter 10. And verse... Uh, verse 11 says, For the Scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Verse 13, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Verse 16, But they have not all obeyed the gospel, for Isaiah saith, Lord, who hath believed our report, so then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. God wants every human being to be saved. If God could have his way, everyone would be saved. And that leads us to the second group of people who try to explain salvation. The Calvinists said that God's salvation is reserved for this 
little group of elect that God has chosen to be saved and God has chosen the vast majority of this world to go to hell and suffer in torments forever. And, and that is the God they believe in. And I, I want to challenge you, a God that could do that is foreign to the Bible. Uh, that is not the God of the Bible. And yet, on the other hand, we have what we would uh, generally call the universalist. And they believe that God is so love and so loving and that God's salvation is to all men and that God eventually will save all people. The only problem is Calvinism is a blasphemy of God's love. It makes God a vindictive uh, God who picks his special little people and then judges and destroys everyone else. Or we go over here to the universalist who says everybody's eventually going to go to heaven and be saved. And that is a blasphemy of God's holiness. That God will take everybody's sin since Jesus has paid for it and just forget that it ever existed. No, I want you to understand that God stands directly in the middle of Man's false attempts to reason of God, uh, reason out what God has done, and God gives us an opportunity to be saved. He doesn't make us robots, nor does He let us do whatever we want, and then in the end He waves His magic wand and everything becomes wonderful. God's salvation is open to whosoever will. But there must be that will. There must be that choice. In uh, trying to illustrate this, I I think I heard someone uh, come up with this idea. Uh, I embellished it a little bit, but if you could uh, come up with a little pill that you would give to a person that you decided... Uh, to marry, and you would give them that pill, and they would love you forever. How many of you would use it? All of a sudden, yeah, wow, that sounds pretty good. Well, let's stop and think about that a minute. What would that, in essence, do? That would take that person that you chose and make them your slave, now wouldn't it? Oh, that might be nice for a little while, but after a while, you'd say, wow, the only reason they care about me was because I gave them that medicine. Do they really care about me, or is it just because I cheated? And you see, a lot of people live life trying to manipulate other people to love them. Most of us in this room know what it's like to be the victim of the manipulation of another person. And and that's not pleasant now, is it? When, when you finally wake up and realize this person was doing all these nice things because they were getting something else from me that I didn't even know I was giving them, all, all of a sudden it takes on a very dark and sinister light, does it not? That's not the way God intended human beings. If we'll go back to the beginning, how did God create us? He created us in His image. And we've been through this. Jesus Christ, God the Son, the human body. God the Father is the human soul. God the Holy Spirit, the human spirit. And this is the image of God. But Yet, let's stop and think about God and how He acts through history. We, we look here and we see that God moves in history. He changes events just like He went and He called Gideon to deliver Israel from the Midianites. Why? Because God is good. And his actions and his movements are for the good of those that obey them. We read a verse in the book of Revelation 
that tells us that everything was created for God's pleasure. And the Calvinist jumps a hole on, on top of that one and said, See, God does what he wants. Well, wait a minute. Could it just be possible that what God wants is the absolute best thing that we could have? Amen? Is that as God moves through history to fulfill His will and to do His good pleasure, the greatest beneficiary of that good will and that good pleasure are those who choose to obey God. Do you realize that we have just walked through one of the most complex areas of human logic and reasoning and argumentation that has been going on as long as mankind has existed. This was Aristotle, and this was uh, all the Greek philosophers, and uh, Nimrod in the Tower of Babel, if we want to go back that far, and all of the ancient mythology of the people, and, and the modern philosophies of uh, of all the men and communism and all of this, we've, we've taken those things and pushed them aside and we've, we've just come to a simple understanding of the universe. God, as the Creator, does His will. But because God is good, His will is the absolute best thing that any of us could experience. God does not make us little robots to do his will. He is not the puppet master who pulls the strings and, and we follow his bidding, the Calvinist, or nor is he the universalist that just stands up there and goes, oh, look what a mess they made. I guess I'll have to clean that one up too. You see, God is... Love. Amen. His salvation is universal. It is open to all mankind. God is not willing that any should perish, but is long suffering toward us, we're not willing that any perish, but that all should come to repentance. He has given his church a task. I want to challenge you that no one else has this task. That no other organization is to fulfill this task. That God did not choose individuals to go out and do this. He chose and ordained His church. He says, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and all Judea and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Um, I'll tell you, I was so encouraged at the Home Missions Conference this year. Uh, it was just a, a great time. And uh, we were not only able to give, but praise the Lord, uh, Andrew and the Community Baptist Church received a great offering there that's... Uh, going to put them just, oh, this close to being able to pay off the entire building when we close, Lord willing, within a week or two. And I do want you to keep that in prayer. Uh, there's just been some really wonderful, and several other uh, churches, many other churches and, and uh, works were helped, and, and we were able to be a part of that. If you want to know what the future of the United States is, I mean, we need to pray. This is an election year. Uh, you need to start praying now for these primaries and all the elections that are going on. But I, I will tell you this. If you want real hope, it's churches being started and churches being saved, kept from closing. And that's the beauty of the Community Baptist Churches. It was a church, fell into very difficult times, and now we're looking at setting things up so that that church will not close. The same was with the Union Baptist Church. I mean, for decades, the church had been 
ineffective and just dwindling down. And now we're just starting to see that rebuilding process begin. And, and we praise the Lord for that. Jesus commissioned his church. Verses you all know well. Uh, and Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. God has given us the commission to go into all the world. Uh, I don't know uh, how many people caught it, but as uh, they were raising money for the Community Baptist Church out there in Long Island, and Andrew, uh, one of the men stood up and said, $100 from such and such Baptist Church in Moscow, Russia. And uh, that was Brother Reasoner's son, uh, we supported his father for uh, several years while he was there in Moscow, and he's now starting a Russian-speaking church in Vancouver, uh, uh, Washington. Or Yes, Vancouver, Washington. He is there because of health reasons. He couldn't continue, and it just... I'm sitting here listening. We now have the foreign churches helping churches here in America. Praise the Lord. But it's kind of sad in a way that we need help from outside. And part of that is because so many of us, not us, but so many churches, and and we're not talking about churches. When I use the term churches, I'm talking about duly constituted, true candlestick churches that belong to Jesus Christ. We have so many of these churches that are failing to realize and failing to understand God wants everyone saved in the whole world. And we have that duty to be faithful here at home and to be faithful unto the uttermost part of the world Because the message of salvation is the same in every language to every people group. It's believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that wonderful that there's no other message? Isn't it wonderful that we don't have to complicate the gospel? That all we have to do is understand that Jesus Christ... God the Son was born into the human race. That He lived a sinless life and that He chose. He submitted Himself to the death of the cross because He loved us. He was buried and three days He rose again. The Bible says that if we will believe in the death, the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, this is the gospel message that we can have eternal salvation. And I want to challenge you that until you take advantage of that grace, there will be no growth in either grace or knowledge or any more likeness of Jesus Christ. That it starts... Right there by choosing to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. How many of you remember the day you got saved? The day you put your faith and trust in Jesus and you stopped trusting in good works. You stopped believing in yourself. You stopped praying prayers to get saved. You stopped trying to be good enough to earn God's grace. And you surrendered to the Lord Jesus Christ and you asked him to save you. I'll tell you, the greatest day in your life was the day that you got saved. Now, the Bible tells us there's a lot of people that aren't going to get saved. Turn to Matthew chapter 19, but I want to read you in Luke 13. Then said one unto him, Lord, are there few that be saved? 
And he said unto them, Strive to enter in at the straight gate, for many, I say unto you, will seek to enter in and shall not be able. Matthew chapter 19, if you would. Matthew chapter 19, verse 16. Oops. And it tells us here, And behold, one came and said unto him, Good master, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? He said, What good thing should I do so that I can have eternal life? Later on, Matthew tells us he was a young man. Mark tells us that this man came running and fell down before Jesus. Luke tells us that he was a ruler, and hence we've come up with the uh, name for him. We call this man the rich, young ruler. He comes to Jesus and he asks a simple question. I want to have salvation. What do I need to do? Now, Number one, he's asking the right man. Amen? He was asking the right question, was he not? And of course, we know that Jesus gave him the right answer. But he didn't take it now, did he? You see, Jesus gave him the standard answer that he was expecting. And let's just read on here. And uh, verse 17, And he said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. Now what Jesus was doing here was addressing the first and foremost problem. He says, You don't believe that I'm God. Here's the problem. You do not believe that I am whom I say that I am. And because you do not believe, nothing else really matters. And then he says, If thou wilt enter it into life, keep the commandments. And verse 18, he saith, Which? Jesus said, Thou shalt do no murder, thou shalt commit, not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, honor thy father and thy mother, and thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. The young man saith unto him, All these all these things have I kept from my youth up. What lack I yet? Now, wait a minute. He was, verse 20, The young man saith unto him. It, it never fails to amaze me how much young people know. In fact, I... I've often used this joke, especially at Heartland Baptist Bible College. Uh, our colleges are the greatest repository of wisdom known to mankind because the students show up knowing everything and leaving realize they know nothing. So all of a sudden, where did all of that knowledge go? Uh, well, the simple truth was, it's not real, is it? And this young man looks at his young life and he says, I've done all those things. You know what he was admitting? It's not enough. I still have no assurance that I'm going to spend eternity with God. And so Jesus then cuts to the heart of the matter. And uh, let's just read it carefully here. Jesus saith unto him, verse 20, If thou wilt be perfect, go and sell that thou hast, give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Do you see what's going on here? Some people have taken this passage and said, well, listen, if you'll give everything away and sell all that you have, uh, you can go to heaven. Is that what Jesus said? No. He said, and follow me. You see, the reason our attention is drawn to selling all that he has and giving it all away 
is because that was the reason he wouldn't follow Jesus. What Jesus was simply saying is, you've got to give up everything and follow me alone. Because salvation comes from Jesus alone. Amen? God wants everyone to be saved. But not everyone is willing to let go of everything and follow Jesus. Do you want me to tell you what makes that thing work? Is understanding who Jesus is. If Jesus is God, and the Bible says that he is, if you believe that Jesus is God, is there anything that you would hold on to rather than to hold on to God? All of a sudden it becomes very simple, does it not? Uh, It's not that difficult if we understand who Jesus is. That's why Jesus hit this man right between the eyes at the very beginning. And he said, why callest thou me good? You don't believe that I'm God, and until you believe that I'm God, you're never going to let go of that which you have to hold on to something you don't believe in. And yet I'd like to challenge us today, in our service for Christ, why do we allow all these things we can hold on to to distract us from holding on to God? For trying to, as Paul put it in first in Philippians 3, trying to apprehend that for which we are also apprehended. God has us. And so, as we follow through this, it says, But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Verse 23, Then said Jesus unto his disciples, Verily I say unto you that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. And again I say unto you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And when his disciples heard it, they were exceeding amazed, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus beheld them and said unto them, With men, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. You see, God wants everyone to be saved. But not everyone will be saved because they refuse to let go of that which they have in their hands to get a hold of that which only God can give. And the element that is missing is faith. And I want us to just think about faith for a minute. Faith, first, must help us understand one thing. That God is holy and that we are sinners. One of the great things that's missing from our world today, and I want you to pray, I'd like to... Uh, In my mind, I, I hope to preach a whole sermon about this in the near future, but on conviction. It's something that we don't spend a lot of time on. What we're talking about is the Holy Spirit giving us an understanding of who we are and who God is. The Holy Spirit giving us an understanding of how sinful we are in the eyes of a holy God. Uh, It takes faith. It takes listening to God's Word and believing it to begin to understand and open our eyes to see our sinfulness. We, We need faith to understand that there is only one way of salvation. You see, people look at the foolishness of Calvinism, and they say that can't be true, and and they look at the absurdity of the universal salvation that everybody's going to be saved, and they throw up their hands and they say, none of this makes any sense. You have to find God your own way. Well, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father 
but by me. It takes faith to understand that there is only one way of salvation. That sin is real and that sin belongs to me. And we're not talking about this false foolishness that's out there where, oh, I'm such a horrible person. I never do anything right. And Again, what that really is is backwards pride. You know, when you can't be proud about what you do, you become proud about what you don't do. Uh, pride moves in so many ways and it entraps us. And the only freedom we have is to understand that our sin has violated the holiness of God and that God has made only one way of salvation. It takes great faith to let go of what you're trusting in and to put your faith and trust only in the Lord Jesus Christ. remember talking to a Jewish man years ago and he said, the thing I don't understand is why all you Christians want a dead Jew to be your God. And I said, that's the problem, sir. He's not dead. He's alive. Well, that ended the conversation rather quickly. You see, faith to trust Jesus as our only Lord. You can go through all of history. You can do a comparative study in religion if you want. And what you're going to find out is that Jesus Christ stands alone and above every other religion. And that when man claims to worship Jesus and does it falsely, they do nothing but demean his character and pull him down. Uh, I'll tell you, my blood boils every time I think about the... Uh, the and, and I've read this in the Catholic books where uh, the they will say that Jesus is very harsh and judgmental and it's only through the intercession of His mother uh, that He has a soft heart towards sinners. That's blasphemy, my friend. Jesus is the one who willingly laid down His life for us. The Mormons tried to lift Jesus up as the greatest teacher and the wisest uh, of the sons of God. And then they demean him to the basest by making him and the devil brothers equal, except for their reasoning capabilities. Nothing could be more blasphemous than that. You see... Let's go back to Matthew chapter 7, and then we'll try to tie this thing up. Matthew chapter 7, the end of the Sermon on the Mount. And as Jesus is closing down this sermon... Verses 13 and 14, he says, Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way which leadeth to destruction. And many there be which go in thereat, because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Now that's a terrifying statement to me. It says, few there be that find it. Did we have a God who makes salvation especially difficult so that people cannot find it? No. If we were to go back to Romans chapter 10, it would say the word of God is nigh thee, even in thy mouth, that all you have to do is confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead. Thou shalt be saved. Why are there few that be that find it? Because as a rich young ruler, we will not leave, let go of that which we have to grasp the hand of God. And we come down here to verse 21. 
And Jesus makes a stinging and strong condemnation. He says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. We, we live in a world of deception and self-deception. Self-deception is probably the most difficult thing to deal with when we talk about the issue of salvation. As we said before, nobody wants to believe that they're going to hell. That would be, if you really believed in hell and you really believed that you were going there and you really believed that you didn't have a choice, uh, I think you would lose your reasoning. And so we have to change things. We have to modify things. We have to pretend. Uh, we live in a world of false truth, if we might say it. Alternate truth is nothing but a lie. Truth does not need to be defended. Truth does not need to be argued about. And I don't believe that we can convince someone that they believe in false truth unless they're willing to understand who Jesus is. So I am not real hept on this apologetics that's out there, how we're going to prove that God is God by arguing down evolution. Well, I'm for arguing down evolution, but honestly, that's not that hard to do. In fact, one evolutionist put it the best way I've ever heard it put by anybody. He said, all you do is put God in there and everything works. Said, you got it. That's how simple it is. And that's how foolish you are. God works. Evolution doesn't. We're not going to convince people to get saved. The Holy Spirit convicts people to get saved. And we need to understand that not everyone that says, Lord, Lord, is going to make it to heaven. Not everyone that goes around talking about Jesus believes in Jesus. You see, we have the next story here of the two houses. And how many of us are not familiar with this? I mean... The wise man built his house upon the rock, amen, and the foolish man built his house upon the sand. And Jesus put it this way, Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And every one that heareth these things of mine and doeth them not, he shall be likened unto a foolish man, which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Do you realize that Jesus came to the Jewish people as their Messiah? And you have to understand this, that in order, when the Bible talks about Jews in the, in the, in the Bible, capital J-E-W, it's talking about the religious leaders. Uh, it's talking about the scribes and the Pharisees and the priests and the lawyers and the Sadducees and all these different groups. Uh, of Jewish people, but one thing that they all had in common was they were familiar with the Scriptures. They were people who studied the Bible and read the Bible every Sabbath day. 
They did not have copies of the Bible like you and I have that they could carry around with them. But they were people who were familiar with the scriptures and all of these things. And yet when Jesus went into the synagogue in Nazareth and said, these, This day these words are fulfilled in your eyes, what did they do? They scoffed at him. They said, this can't be. Who in the world do you think you are? Jesus said, if you'll take these words and you'll do them, you're like a wise man that built his house on a rock. If you hear these words and you don't do them, you're like the foolish man that built his house on the sand. One is destined for glory. The other is destined for an eternity of separation from God. And the question that we put before us today is, number one, you can't grow in grace until you get saved. You can't grow up into Jesus until you've become his child. Salvation, the greatest gift that man can have is that of eternal life. What did Jesus say? He said, what is a man profited if he gained the whole world and lose his own soul? And yet, if we'll stop and think about it, when is the last time... As we approach God, as when we thought about God, as when we sang hymns like we did this morning, He lives and there is power in the blood and heaven came down and glory filled my soul. When is the last time we thought and really understood and really grasped that I have something that if the entire world could be valued It wouldn't buy one second of God's salvation. And yet, I have it if you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. And we just go, okay, next point. Wait, wait a minute. That's the only point. That's where it starts. That's all of life. Every false religion sets salvation as the finish line. Isn't it amazing that Calvinist says you can't know whether you're saved or not because you cannot determine whether you're part of God's elect? Only God knows that. And so you will have to wander through life and hopefully you'll fall across the finish line someday and realize that you're part of God's elect. And over here in the universalist camp where everybody eventually gets saved, you can just... Don't, bar- don't worry about God. Just do whatever you want because God's going to save you anyway. And, and we wonder why people out there in the world who listen to all of this foolishness wonder why we're crazy. And there's only one answer for that. That's taking this truth to the world in which we live. It's helping them understand. And that doesn't Something you and I can't do. Only the Holy Spirit of God can bring conviction. But how do people get faith? Faith cometh by hearing. Hearing by the Word of God. We must be faithful to the Word of God. We must be faithful to understand, to realize, to ask God to work in our hearts and minds To help us truly understand what it means to be born again the Bible way. To be saved eternally. Last two verses, we're done. Matthew chapter 7, verse 28. And it came to pass when Jesus had ended these sayings that the, the people were astonished at his doctrine. For he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. 
you really want to be on everybody's bad list, be sure of what you're doing. Be convinced. Regardless of what anybody says or thinks, that you're right. And I will promise you this, people will hate you. (laughs) Because they don't know. And when you say you do, who do you think you are? Listen, I am not one whit different than you, except for this. I've let go of everything that I can put my hands on and hold. And on August 28, 1977, I reached out and Jesus took my hand and he's never let go. You know what? There is no greater truth. There is no greater gain. There is no more wonderful thing that you can attain to than having the testimony of a sinner saved by the grace of God. Born again through the power of the Holy Spirit, believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you. And Lord, we're thankful for your salvation. Lord, I pray that in some way that we could just be reminded of how great that salvation is. Of how precious and how there is nothing in this world that can be compared to being saved. Lord, that we would not be complacent or uh, just ho-hum about our salvation. But Lord, that you would help us to understand and realize the great work that you have done so that we could be saved. Lord, we ask that you would send us from this place to take this message to the world in which we live. That we would understand the authority of you and your word. And Lord, that we live and we serve you through your church. We ask that you would do your work in each heart and life here today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's take our hymn books 508.